When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Gastor Almonte. And I'm at the doctor and the doctor's like, yo, what's going on? She was like, yo, my stomach's been cramping all day. I've been spotting. I'm pretty sure I had my first period. (laughs) And Dr. Harvey's like, no, no, you did not. That and more. But before that, I just want to say a few words about American addiction centers. You know, addiction is a nationwide problem. There's no easy fix. Recovery is not one size fits all. American addiction centers customize treatment to fit individual needs with evidence-based practices and specialized patient care technology. This is especially important in the midst of the current opioid epidemic. If you're ready to get help, call American Addiction Centers at 888-489-4992. They're available 24-7. Your life is worth more than your addiction. Don't wait until it's too late. Also, these days you can get practically everything on demand, like this podcast. You can listen to it whenever you want. So why are you still taking trips to the post office when you can get postage on demand with stamps.com? With stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your own desk 24-7 when it's convenient for you. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package using your own computer and printer. Then the mailman picks it up. Just click print, mail, you're done. Couldn't be easier. We use stamps.com at risk and the story studio, and we've always loved it. And right now you can use risk for this special offer. It includes up to $55 in free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now, here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Hugh Masekela behind me now. And we are calling this week's episode Shook. And as we're preparing this episode, we are in the final phases of preparing our book that you can pre-order at theriskbook.com. We're in the phase now where we're putting together all the blurbs of people who love the show and wanted to say something nice on the cover or the inside jacket. Um, John Hodgman, Ilana Glazer from Broad City, uh, Lisa Lampanelli, uh, Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. I can't even remember a whole list of wonderful people saying wonderful things about the book. And listen, we have an amazing new super, super easy way for you to pre-order if you just use your phone and text to the number 900 900 the word risk it'll take you immediately to the pre-ordering process send a text to the number 900 900 and the only word you have to write in the text is risk and it'll get you started in the pre-ordering process and if you do send us an email to show us that you did pre-order the book and we'll say your name on the show like these people these are the people who pre-ordered the book this week tammy ray oh we love tammy amy salloway another person we love (laughs) 
We know these both of these people so far. Christy Hutchings, Jen Bryan Offen, Joseph Van Dorn, Sarah Starkstrom, Rachel Parkman, Janelle Miley, Serena Silgaro, Sam Kuntz, Stuart Sullivan, and Nivy Malik. Holy cow. And a couple of those folks will choose their name out of a hat and give a special prize beyond being mentioned on the show. Now, uh, listen, we have got some fabulous stories today. We've got Beowulf Jones coming up in a little bit. I, I should let you know, there's also an interview with Beowulf Jones on our Patreon right now. Every week we upload a new bonus story there on our Patreon and a new check-in with me. Sometimes it's just me talking, and sometimes it's me talking to someone else. This week, it's me talking to our Los Angeles producer, Beowulf Jones, who also tells the second story on this week's episode. But first, let's hear a story from Gastor Almonte that he shared with us here in New York. Now, this was a little bit different at this particular show. I got up afterwards and asked the storyteller some questions, chatted a little bit with the storyteller. So you'll hear me run up on stage and joke around with Gaster a little bit after his story. You can find him at gasteralmonte.com and here he is now with a story we call Continuing Education. Yeah, how y'all doing? No doubt, no doubt. A couple months back, my son came into the living room on a Saturday morning. I was watching ESPN, and he's like, yo, Dad, what do you know about tectonic plates? (laughs) I don't know shit about tectonic plates, you know? And if I did know anything about tectonic plates, I'm not ready to talk about it at 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, and he's like, Dad, tiny plates. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't remember studying that, man. He's like, we're talking about it in school, Dad. I'm like, I'm sorry, Pop. And he's like, throwing up his hands in the air. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> like, I'm the fuck up in this, you know? <laughs> then he goes to the hallway, gets his sister, she's nine, and they come out to the living room and they talk about the tiny plates in my face. You know how disrespectful that is? You see a convo that you don't understand and you paid for it. For those of you that don't know, the tiny plates are the things that move that cause earthquakes. And I'm saying it that way because that's how they had to dumb it down so I could understand this nonsense. I appreciated it though because it was cool to still be like a source of knowledge for them, you know? Because that goes away, right? When you're like a teenager, you don't go to your parents for information. You want to know things on your own. And the other thing is, it was cool to see him ask questions openly. Like when you're a teen, you always want to know things, but you don't want people to know that you don't know what you're trying to know, you know? Right, that's not just me, right, okay. I remember when I was 13, I was taking uh, the bus home from school and the girls in the back of the bus from class were all laughing and I wanted to be in the in crowd, so I wanted to know what's going on, so I walked to the back of the bus. And I hear um, my homegirl Crystal, she's like, yo, it happens to them all the time and they start laughing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you ain't see we had an erection in class this week? And I didn't know what erections were. But I didn't want her to know that I didn't know what erections were. They seem vital to the story. (laughs) And to be clear, like I had erections, like I knew what erections were, I just didn't know that they were called erections. Like I don't want y'all looking at me like, damn, I feel bad for this guy, (laughs) you know? Prime of his life, you know? So yeah, I had erections, didn't know what erections were. We about to find out together. <laughs> you know, and you know, they keep going. They're like, dude, I was the third one this week. Yo, I saw them with one when they were going to the bathroom. 
It's crazy. I really want to know. So I went into guess who mode. You know the board game? Yeah, right? With all the faces and you got to ask questions to figure out who the person is. Ask the wrong question. So I was like, so was it a boy or a girl? I got a similar response that day. So I walked away, you know, they're like, Gaston, you so funny. That was crazy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I do. I still don't know shit. I don't know what's going on. Someone in class having an erection. It's either a boy or a girl. And whoever it is, apparently it's ridiculous to think it's the other side of the class. I go home. I eat this. I get ready for the day's game. You know, I play baseball. I'm Dominican. That's what you're forced to do till your dad says different. You know? I get dressed, I'm at the park having a great game. It's a hot day and I fainted. My dad comes, picks me up, takes me to the doctor's office and uh, the doctor's asking me questions. He's like, uh, how you feeling? I was like, I don't know, I felt dizzy, I felt nauseous. He's like, did you eat enough food? He's like, yeah, I think I did. You know, I'm really missing that department. I don't know if you've seen me, sir. <laughs> He's like, you had enough to drink? I was like, yeah, I feel like everything was fine. And he looks at my dad, he asks him to step out the room and then he gets real serious with me. And he's like, Gastor, have you been drinking? I'm like, drinking? No, why would I be drinking? He's like, well, I don't know, but, you know, kids your age, when they start to drink, since they don't know how to handle it, they drink too much. And on occasion, they feel dizzy, they feel nauseous, they feel spinning, they might even faint. I was like, no, but that's good to know, <laughs> you know? And I took that information home, you know? That weekend, my class was having a party. You know, my homegirl, Crystal, was having a dope house party. Great music, a lot of Montel Jordan. <laughs> and I'm in there jamming now. We having a great time, you know. And alcohol gets spilt on me. Now, at this time, this is the first time I was at a party with alcohol being served. I didn't want to drink alcohol, but I didn't want other people to know that I wasn't drinking alcohol. Because the people drinking alcohol seem to be cool, so I want to be cool too. A lot of pressure in these situations. So we get back to school on Monday, and everybody's recapping the quarterback party, you know, Monday morning style. And everybody's like, hey, uh, hey, Gaston, that party was great, right? I'm like, yeah, man. Yo, were you drinking? And I'm like, of course, I drink all the time. <laughs> and then they asked me how to feel. And I remember what Dr. Harvey told me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I felt nauseous, a little dizzy. Room was spinning, I almost fainted. <laughs> to 13 year olds, this sounds awesome. <laughs> you know? Now I'm the star of the party, you know? We keep talking about it, continuing our Monday morning quarterback routine here. And then we get to the girls, and they're like, yo, you saw Crystal's homegirl? She was real pretty. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, word. And they're like, yo, but I heard she had a period. I'm like, word but I didn't know what periods were either. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, man, it, was, it, it went down at the party. So I want to know more about this. I'm cool with Crystal. Decided to ask him more about it. I was there. So I walk across the yard and I'm like, hey, yo, Crystal, I heard your homegirl had her first period, man. She okay? And she's like, yeah, so that was real sweet of you to ask. Uh, yeah, her stomach was hurting a lot. She was cramping. She was spotting. Um, we didn't know what to do. We actually called her mom, but she took her home. We haven't seen her since, actually. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds scary as hell. <laughs> you know? Like, I know what they are now, and they still scared me. <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay, you know, good luck to her. And I had to sit with that in class all day, you know. I get home, get dressed for the day's game again. And as we drive into the park, it occurs to me, I should faint again, go to the office with the doctor and ask him questions about erections and periods. He was real helpful before with the alcohol situation. I should use this some more. 
three pitches in, I take a hard dive. You know, my dad rushes out. He's like, yeah, so what's going on? I was like, yo, my stomach is cramping. I think I'm spotting, you know. Let's get to the doctor's office, you know. And I'm at the doctor, and the doctor's like, yo, what's going on? I was like, yo, my stomach's been cramping all day. I've been spotting. I'm pretty sure I had my first period. And Dr. Harvey's like, no, no, you did not. You have any questions, Gaston? I was like, I'm gonna be honest with you, Dr. Harvey. I don't know what a period is. And he's like, I know, Gaston. And I'm like, I'm gonna be real, I didn't know what they were, but last time I was here, you gave me some vital info about alcohol, which I also didn't know, turned out to make me cool for the day. I figured I'd come back and ask more questions. And he laughed, and he proceeded to tell me about how periods work, you know? Kudos to y'all here to have them, by the way. <laughs> you know? Incredible work in that field. <laughs> you know? Keep it up. You know? And I learned I was a changed person. And, you know, I go back to the front of the counter with the reception and my dad's there. And I remembered that I didn't ask questions about erections. So I run back inside and the doctor's like, what's going on? I was like, oh, I forgot to ask you about erections. <laughs> and he laughs and he tells me that's the other half of the convo we just had, Gaston. You know? You know, when boys start becoming men, they go and they have erections for the first time. When women, you know, start growing up, they have periods. It's part of the process. And it was beautiful to me, you know? So I get home, spend an eventful day. <laughs> so I'm a little tired, you know, I go to sleep. <laughs> Let that sink in. And I wake up the next morning, and my father is in my room. And he's like, you got any questions for me, Gaston? What's going on with you? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you've been fainting. I want to know if everything's okay. I was like, why would you think everything's not okay, Dad? He's like, I don't know, but I paid $90 in co-pays this week. <laughs> so I want some answers. I was like, Dad, it starts with erections. <laughs> He's like, erections? You've been fainting because of erections? <laughs> How big do you think your penis is? that it's causing you to faint when you get an erection. It's like, no, Dad. Last time I had questions about alcohol, Dr. Harvey helped me out. Figured I could ask some questions about periods and erections. He's like, but Gaston, that's what I'm here for. That's my job. I'm here to answer those things for you. And I was like, you're right. I was just a little nervous to ask you. And we bonded over that. So I'm here to tell you guys today, as a father now with my own son, when you guys have kids, if you have a son, and he's a teenager, and he starts fainting. <laughs> Ask him if he has questions about erections. <laughs> you know, he's either really blessed or really confused, <laughs> but either way, he's gonna appreciate that you care. Thank you. Gaston <laughs> Almonte! Yes, <laughs> So how old did you say your kids are nowadays? Uh, my son just turned eight and my daughter's nine. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you you have to field lots of questions still. All the time. Uh, I recently butchered the pregnancy birth giving question with my daughter. Uh. Um, <laughs> like the day before, my wife was like, you just got to be real literal with her. You know, just straightforward, whatever you think is the honest answer. So she asks me how babies are born. I'm like, yeah, they come out the woman's vagina. Except when, like, you know, they have complications, like uh, like your Aunt Titi did with your cousin Xavier. They had to cut her open. There's a lot of bleeding, but, you know, everything's cool now. Uh-huh. So I said that also at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> my daughter was traumatized, ran inside to my bedroom and, like, told my wife this. So I'm not allowed to talk to the kids anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, this is where we are. 
Yeah, this rem- I was when I first heard this story, I was thinking, what are the words that I that were a total trip for me? I remember in the second grade. In the second grade, we were on the playground, and I was watching three three other boys toss a ball back and forth, right? Yeah. And two of the guys just kind of signaled to each other, we're not going to toss it to the third boy. So they were just tossing it back and forth, and the third guy was like, throw it to me, throw it to me. And they wouldn't, and they wouldn't. He's like, throw it to me, throw it to me. He got so pissed off that he finally just yelled out to the whole playground, rape! (laughs) (laughs) And everything stopped. uh, Half the kids were like, and... The teachers were all like, and then there were kids like me who were just like, I don't know what that word means, but it must be worse than not getting the ball thrown to you. Unrelated to semi-related to that, you might have told the only effective rape joke ever, by the way. Well done. Well done. Kudos. <laughs> I, now, this, this is a little risky, too. I, when I was in the sixth grade, when I was in the sixth grade, my best friend and I decided together mutually that I should give him a blowjob. Uh, and we were like... Where did you grow up, my G? What, what is going on here? What are these Why, conversations? Cincinnati, Ohio, of what course. Is the most Republican and Catholic of towns. Uh, No, but what it came to was, you know, it was a sleepover, and it basically just boiled down to me being like... (laughs) And then say, does that feel good? And he was, like, assuming that he should... He's like, yeah, that feels amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Just me blowing on it. And then after a while, we were like, well, all right, I guess we're done. (laughs) Well done, well done. But you know, another funny thing is, like, just I, the first time I heard Gaster's story. <laughs> Yo, I'm trained to react and respond to everything. I got nothing relatable to that at all. I can't. You on your own on that would be. The first time I heard your story, I heard a very murky recording, a recording you made somewhere else of this story. And the way I heard it, your kid was saying, hey, Dad, do you know about the tiny plates instead of tectonic plates? And I was listening to the story like, well, fuck, I don't know about the tiny plates either. Mom. Mom. Yes, honey? you know about periods? Yes. What about periods? Do you have periods? Yes. All women have periods. Mm. Tell me what happens. Blood from inside of my body comes outside from an opening between my legs. Susie, do you have periods? Do I have periods? Yes. I want to know if Susie has periods. Still, all women have periods about every four weeks for three or four days. When I'm on my period, blood from inside of my body comes outside from an opening between my legs. What about my teacher? Does Miss Jones have periods? All women have periods about every four weeks. Hi, girls. Hi, Dad. What have you girls been talking about? About periods, Daddy. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, honey. What is it? Does that girl have periods? Yes, Jill. All women have periods about every four weeks. Blood from inside a woman's body comes outside from an opening between her legs. But, Dad, men don't have periods, do they? Men do not. Only women. Now I know all women have periods. That's right, honey. So I have a story that I would like to tell tonight, and I have a bit of a preamble which I'm going to motor through because it's a little soapboxy, and I don't like being soapboxy, but I'm going to be anyway. Okay, this is a new story. This just happened to me about a month ago, but I would like to start a month before a month ago, which is two months ago, and I was watching the Netflix special uh, that was recently released of a very famous comedian. Now, this comedian uh, said two things 
that stuck with me. Um, the first thing that he said, this comedian had made a number of uh, very offensive, disgusting, transphobic jokes, and he was trying to address that. And to paraphrase what he was saying, he, his defense was, look, I have a good heart, and I just say what's funny. If it's funny, it wins. Which I agree with. If it's funny, it wins. I agree with that in theory, but what he was saying, it wasn't really funny. Like, ignorance is not funny to me. I know comedy is subjective, but that is the first thing that he said that stuck with me. The second thing he did uh, that stuck with me is he invalidated the Louis C.K. victims uh, by saying their claims were not valid because when you think about someone masturbating in your face, that's actually funny. And again, uh, comedy is subjective, but I, I don't think that there's anything funny about that. Uh, so, so that really stuck with me. And there's such a national conversation happening right now about assault, if certain things count as assault, if certain things don't, and I recognize that I have my own growing to do, because while I like to think I'm on the right side of things, uh, I'm hypocritical in one way. I'm one of those assholes. If I read something about a 50-year-old biology teacher running off with a 15-year-old girl in his class, that makes me sick to my stomach. But if I I read about a 50-year-old teacher and she seduced a 16-year-old boy in her class, I think to myself, oh, you lucky fucker. And that's not right, but that's what I think, because I remember how I was when I was 16. I was an incredibly sexual creature, and there is nothing in the world I would have loved more than for some lady with experience to waltz in and show me the finer points on how to use my body. Uh, so I'm, uh, that's how I feel. So I'm trying to grow. In the most recent one, uh, there's uh, a boy on American Idol who said that he'd never been kissed before, and Katy Perry pecked him on the lips, which is how most of my fantasies start. But... <laughs> He didn't want it, and so some people are saying that's assault, some people are saying it's not. That is my soapbox preamble. I will now get into the story. I was walking around Hollywood, Cuenca area, and I was going to get some lunch, and I saw this sign on this building that said, Louisiana Kitchen. And I thought, oh, Louisiana Kitchen? I don't know what happens in a Louisiana kitchen, but it sounds delicious. I am going to go into Louisiana kitchen. And I walked in and it was Popeyes. Uh, what nobody was telling me is that the full name of Popeyes is Popeyes Louisiana kitchen. I didn't know that because the sign just said Louisiana kitchen in a circle and had like a small P and that doesn't scream Popeyes to me, but I was obviously in Popeyes. So whatever I went up to the counter and they had one of those TV screen menus. Have you seen those where they show you like a special and as soon as you lock in on something you might want, the screen changes and uh, you have to hope it comes back up. What I saw on the TV screen, uh, it said Popeyes employees have heart. Heart. We have your back. And I thought to myself, oh, well, that's nice. You know, in the unlikely event, shit's about to go down at Popeye's. <laughs> These Popeye's employees have my back. Uh, so I got my food. It's chicken, mac and cheese, and a biscuit. And I walk one table down from this guy who looks like Drake. If Drake was really into overalls. Like, I'm not an overalls guy, but these were gold medal overalls. And, like, the kind of overalls that made me think, oh, wow, I might need to look into getting a pair of overalls. And the vibe he was giving off was kind of, like, schizophrenic off his meds. But I heard him talking about fights. And uh, besides my friend Christina, I am the only one in the entire continent of Los Angeles who enjoys boxing. And the previous night was the Errol Spence Jr. and Lamont Peterson fight. So I was eavesdropping to see if that's what he was talking about. Because if it is, I mean, I'll talk to anybody I can about that. Uh, but just listening in, he was kind of like, no, I'll fight that motherfucker, and I'll, I'll fight this motherfucker, and I'll fucking kill that motherfucker. And I was like, oh, he's not talking about boxing. I'm just going to leave him alone. So I sit down. I have my chicken, my mac and cheese, my biscuit. I pull up uh, the news on my phone, and that's when I suddenly hear from the counter someone, uh, the clerk just scream, Oh my God! 
And that's when I hear a crash behind me. And it's a woman sprinting through the door. And before she like goes through the door completely, she turns around and she points directly at me. And she goes, you nasty! And I'm like, what the fuck did I do? I'm just trying to enjoy my food. I'm not bothering anyone. I mean, unless you're vegan, nothing I'm doing is offensive right now. And then I turn around and, uh, you, sir, what's your name? Mike. Uh, Mike, stand up. Come closer. 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 Okay. As far as Mike is away from me, I turn around. Overalls guy is masturbating right in my face. This is Overalls guy, and he is masturbating right in my face. And um, I should feel like I should describe this for you. This was not some fat, out-of-shape Uncle Buck guy just groaning and wheezing and doing everything he can to try and, and get this out. This guy was in physical condition. He was in good shape. He was like in Michael B. Jordan and Black Panther good shape. And just watching him uh, masturbate, it was like full body gyrations. Like everything in his body was connected from like the top of his back down to his calf muscles. I would demonstrate it for you, but my body doesn't work like that. I mean, it was truly a sight to behold. And as he's stroking vigorously, he's looking directly in my eyes like most people don't look at me. He's looking at me as a sexual object. And um, he looks right in my eyes and he goes, I want your biscuit. (laughs) And I, I froze. I just froze. I've been in flight or fight situations before. Like the very first story I ever told on Risk was about stopping a mugging in Manhattan. And the only variable I can think of that made me fight then and freeze here. In Manhattan, it was someone else who was being threatened. But here, it's just me being threatened. And I guess, I don't know, I just don't give a shit about myself. I mean, I shouldn't self-diagnose. I'm not a mental health expert. But I was completely frozen. I could not move. And for the rest of my life, I don't ever want to hear anyone ever make the argument again. Well, if so-and-so didn't like what was happening in the room, why didn't they just leave? I didn't leave because I was frozen. Do you know what frozen means? It means you can't move. Like, that argument makes about as much sense as saying, well, if Captain America didn't want to be stuck in that iceberg for 70 years, why didn't he just leave? He didn't leave the iceberg because it froze him. That is the nature of ice. And I'm thinking to myself, why? Why is it? Is, did I do something? Did, is, is there something I did where the only reasonable reaction for this guy to have is to just masturbate in my face? Like, it must have been something I did. And all I could think of was, well, I was late to work a bunch of times last week, but I don't think that justifies this. But I can't deny that in the back of my head, while this was happening, I was definitely thinking to myself, uh, well, you know, I bet I probably did have this coming. And that's when my motion returned to me just a little bit. I was able to move my head because I was tired of looking at this guy's manhood. And I was tired of him looking at me like I was a piece of meat. And I, I, so I stared down at my shoes. And I stared down at my shoes for what I thought was a good long time. And then I moved my head back up and he's still right there just keeping going. And uh, so I put my head down at my shoes again, and I stared at my shoes for even longer. And then surely he must be done by now. But I looked up, and he's still going. And that's when I looked to the counter to see if any of these clerks were going to help me. And the TV screen menu came up again that said, Popeye's employees have your back. (laughs) No, they do not. They, they were not anywhere near my back. They were not even in the vicinity of my back. And I mean, I guess I get it. They work at Popeye's. They're not paid nearly enough to have to deal with this. 
Um, but uh, finally, he came uh, to his natural conclusion. And I don't know if I'm making this up or if I actually heard this, but I swear I heard the sound of him come. It was very small. It was a very tiny sound. It was like almost sounded like a very thin piece of paper being slowly torn, like, and, and that was it. And he was done. And I didn't know what to do. I was shocked. So I did what anyone else would have done in that situation. I posted on Facebook about what happened. And the comments just came rolling in. Um, My friend Susie, she commented, I am so sorry that you had to go through that. And she was the only one who commented anything of that nature because all my friends are musicians and comedians. And as everyone knows, musicians and comedians are pieces of shit. So it was just jokes, 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 jokes. The first comment that came up uh, was from my friend Austin. He wrote, well, you can't blame him. It's not like Louis C.K. had anywhere he needed to be today. And I did not appreciate that. I, I did not think it was funny. At this moment, I was still like, oh, my pearls. And um, the next comment that came in was written like stage directions in brackets. It said, frantically tries to come up with joke about choking chicken. And I didn't think that was funny. Uh, but then the next comment came from my friend Riley. And she wrote, yeah, but was it finger looking good? <laughs> That one made me smile. That one made me smile because if it's funny, it wins. And I thought that was funny. And then uh, my friend Cassie, she wrote, did he finish Louisiana fast? I had to look that one up. I guess Popeye's old slogan was Louisiana fast. I didn't know that. But once I knew that, I was like, okay, yeah, that's a good joke. Um, And at this point, uh, Overall's guy was composed. He was acting like he wasn't just standing there masturbating. The clerks were back. They were acting like he wasn't just standing there masturbating. So I was like, I guess I'll just act like he wasn't standing here masturbating. And he decided this was a good time to re-enter negotiations about getting my biscuit. He kept telling me how much he wanted my biscuit, and then he started giving me some BS story about having a sick mother. And look, if you have a sick mother, my heart goes out to you. Look, my mother had lung cancer, and then she had a stroke. So if you're going through a sick mother thing, I am the first one in line ready to hear you and be there for you. But the asterisk next to that statement is you can't have just been masturbating in my face. And uh, I wasn't hungry, my appetite was gone, but I was spiteful, so I took the biscuit, I put it in my mouth, it felt like putting a brick of sawdust on my tongue, and I swallowed it, and I threw the rest of my food out, and I walked out of Popeye's. Overall's guy stayed, as far as I know. He's still there. And I was really, really rattled. It felt like a trauma to me, and I didn't feel like that was something I would have to justify when uh, I was talking to people about it. But I also felt kind of stupid about it, because I'm like, yeah, but I'm a dude. Am I allowed to be upset by this? Because I was thinking about how it would be for other people. Because, like, you know, if he was doing this to a woman, uh, you know, women tend to, like, be smaller. And I'm sure it would be much more scary. For example, the, the idea of, is this guy going to rape me? That never crossed my mind once. So that's my privilege. Um, but the people who I found are not sympathetic towards this is all my gay male friends. They, uh, like, my friend David said to me, how did you describe him? He, he looked like Drake, but, but Michael B. Jordan and Black Panther, I think you should have just given him the biscuit. And uh, I was talking to another friend of mine, and his note to me was, well, the way that you tell this story It sounds like you think that something kind of significant happened to you, but this isn't really a big deal. And I was like, fuck you. What do you mean this isn't a big deal? Have some guy masturbate in your face and see what you think. And then I was like, 
wait, that's exactly what he's talking about. If some guy like this was to masturbate in his face, he would think that it's his lucky day. That sounds great to him. And that sounds like I'm offended that he has that point of view, but how is that different from me being like, so that 16-year-old kid got seduced by a 50-year-old teacher? That's a lucky day. And so I don't want to have to try and convince people that something that I felt very traumatized by actually is traumatizing. So here's how I grew. It's not like when I heard the comedian talk about how somebody masturbating in front of you is kind of funny, like I knew that was bullshit the second I heard it. It's not like I was like, oh yeah, that sounds true, that's funny, and then it happened to me. And I was like, oh no, now it's not funny. The lesson that I have to take away is I don't think I can make fun of this American Idol kid. If he wants to say that this thing happened to me and I'm very traumatized about it, then I'm just going to have to accept that he was traumatized about it. That's how I grew through this. Also, Katy Perry, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but I do forgive you, and if you're up for it, I'd love to date you. Thank you very much. This is Risk. This is George Harrison behind me now. I was having a conversation with Beowulf. I said, what song do you think might be appropriate to follow your complicated story there? And he said, oh, Beware of Darkness by George Harrison. I said, yeah, that would be appropriate, but I'm more in the mood for Wawa. <laughs> and he said, well, far be it from me to block Wawa. So, welcome to Wawa, motherfuckers. Welcome to Wawa. And before that, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr, from an old educational film in which a kid has what a period is explained to her in the exact same language by about seems like 430 members of her family. Now, like I was saying before, I do an interview with Beowulf Jones about the history of the L.A. Risk show that he produces out there. That is on our Patreon. Every week now, I'm doing a check-in, an audio check-in, where I talk about what's on my mind or, or, or interview someone else, and this week, it's an interview with Beowulf. And we put bonus stories on Patreon all the time as well, so lots of extra content to be found there at patreon.com slash risk. Now I want to talk about a new sponsor of ours. It is easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you might have lost. Take it from 4hims.com. Uh, that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. A one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men with medical-grade solutions, real doctors, and well-known generic equivalent to name-brand prescriptions that can help you keep your hair. 4hims.com offers men easier, more affordable access to the prescriptions, products, and medical advice they need. These are not herbal supplements. These are prescription solutions backed 
by science. No waiting room, no awkward doctor's visits. Save hours by going to 4 and answering a few quick questions. Then a doctor will review and can prescribe you, and everything will be sent directly to your door. Order now. Our listeners will get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just $5 today right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So go to 4 slash risk. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash risk. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from one of our favorites going way back. Tracy Rowland was on one of the first episodes of the show, and she's been back several times since. It's always a treat to have her on. Now, this, this performance, she did the very first time we were at Caveat, which is now our new home in New York City. You can look her up at TracyRowland.com. That's R-O-W-L-A-N-D. And here she is now with a story we call The Leap. This one was from a few years ago when uh, I found myself on the Victoria Bridge in Zimbabwe staring at a crocodile-filled river 400 feet below while a group of people stood behind me chanting, go, go, jump. (laughs) And uh, I put the blame for this situation firmly at the feet of my friend David. David and I met years ago. We met in Los Angeles not long after I had moved from Hong Kong keep up. I know you were told there'd be no geography, but there's tons of it in this one. And um, David, like all good friends, he kind of, he thought the best of his friends and he saw us as better versions than we saw ourselves. And he always thought that I was a lot more brave than I actually am. And he wouldn't say it in so many words. He'd be more like, um, well, that was a ballsy move or uh, that, uh, that's a bold choice of haircut. Uh, or he'd, he'd compare me to women that he knew or that women had seen in movies and he'd be like, yeah, you know, she's like you, you know, she's got guts. And I did not see it, but he did so great because one thing that David was wonderful at was friendship. He just, he had this wonderful group of people who loved him and who had his back. And in Los Angeles, that's like having a pet unicorn or a job. <laughs> and, uh, We met when a mutual friend tried to set us up, and it was her great timing on her part. I had just been like freshly crushed by some dumb LA guy, and David had just been crushed by the film industry. He had come so close to getting this kind of screenwriting grant. I mean, when I say so close, there were thousands of people to get this grant, and he came in second. And we sat at lunch just staring silently at our plates while our friend is chirping like, hey, you know, you guys are both from New Jersey. <laughs> and, but you know what? By the end of that non-date, we had actually, we had made each other laugh. And so what blossomed there that day was even better than an L.A. romance. You know, it was a friendship. And it was the kind of friendship where, you know, we liked the same books and we hated the same pop music. And we would just like spend evenings on the phone you know we could have spent them together next to each other on the couch but it was more fun on the phone kind of hate watching bad movies <laughs> together we spend the whole evening just like Ugh. and at some point at one point it was inevitable that David would be like how did this get made the words make no sense and he would insist that his dog had like just eaten a Chinese menu and just pooped out a better script you know it's just like and it was uh, during one of these movies we're watching a movie this way you know on the phone and the movie had this sort of dramatic suicide in it and uh, David was silent for a minute and he was just like that's a shitty thing to do to your friends right you know it's like They've got to find your body. Your dog is sitting with it for days. You know, and then your family has to get that phone call. And then they have to get on a plane, you know, devastated. I just, I just, I just wouldn't do that to the people that I love. 
And I'm like, that is very considerate. This is why everybody likes you. If I were to kill myself, it's probably going to be because of the people I love. They drove me to it. I'm going to make it as messy as possible. I'm going to do it like right in front of their door. If I'm not right in front of their door, I'm going to like hope that they don't find me for weeks so it's just really ripe. That's how you do it. We balanced each other out that way as friends. We were good. It was a good little yin and yang of, of poor taste. And um, this pattern sort of developed in our relationship, you know, where my ADD made me late to everything and his OCD made him furious about having to wait. And then I would sulk, you know, about how unaccepting my friend was about my disability. And uh, I'd go days without calling him, right? And then... Something would always happen. You know, I'd see something funny, and I'd be like, I gotta call David. Or he'd see something funny, and be like, I gotta call Tracy. You know, no matter how much I annoyed him, oh, and I annoyed him. You know, there was a certain point where it was just call Tracy, call David. Those two words just cured every argument. There was even a time, there was a brief moment where I had enough success to have an assistant. You know, I'd be like, any messages? And she'd hand me a stack of call David. And uh, so those, you know, it was like those two words were sort of the magical words for our friendship. And we actually even had this sort of short and ridiculous time as roommates, which we quickly realized was terrible. But during that time, the combination of like my ADD and his OCD meant that the dishes got washed twice. <laughs> and, and it also, it meant like, he had a plan, right? He planned everything out. Everything was planned. And I did not. Everything in my life was random. And David had arrived in LA. He had a plan. He had a clear goal. He was going to be a successful screenwriter. And I went there because New York and Atlanta and Hong Kong, they just hadn't stuck, you know? And um, it, it, LA wasn't just not sticking. LA was wearing me down. And it's because... L.A. brings the crazy out in everybody. And this was David's theory, and he came up with it right after he got dumped by a woman because she felt that he wasn't, he didn't care enough about the movie The Goonies. <laughs> and uh, right about that time, I had broke my arm in four places because of jealousy. And when that didn't work, I lost 15 pounds and dated a gay guy because that'll show him. And uh, so I started looking for more than just like the next city. You know, I wanted a purpose and I wanted a plan. It's a four-letter word, but I was going to have a plan and I was definitely going to have a purpose. And I wanted it a purpose that was greater than like success or romance because I wanted something that was attainable. And I started, I looked into the Peace Corps, but they asked for a lot of time. Way too much time. And I was thinking, well, all right, I'm going to consider the Red Cross. I'll even, you know what, I'll do Doctors Without Borders. And David suggested that I apply to doctors without qualifications and then just wait by the phone. <laughs> but then he pointed out what I can do. And here's what I can do. I can build stuff. I can adapt to new situations. I can bounce back from self-inflicted injury. Uh, so the choice was obvious. It was Habitat for Humanity. And uh, bonus, they take anyone, which is great. And then also the trips, they're exotic and they're short. So it's like purpose without commitment it's totally my speed right and so these little international builds they became my sanity break you know year after year it was like my emergency Xanax just kind of leaving the city going somewhere else and being useful for a couple of weeks and that first year I built this very adorable brick house not by myself but according to Facebook totally by myself and I built it with this group of retirees and college kids and you know we ended up regrouping kind of year after year and build after build around the world it was like friendship and that was neat and new and wonderful in Los Angeles and then flash forward a decade and I'm about to jump off a bridge in Zimbabwe with these people and circling back it's all because of David so my Habitat team had ended up on that bridge because we had this very successful build in nearby Botswana, and we wanted to celebrate by doing the second highest bungee jump in the world. And I had suggested maybe a nice dinner. <laughs> 
and a bottle of wine would be a great way to unwind after this build and toast to our success because no matter what my good friend said, I am afraid of a lot of things. I'm afraid of extreme heights and falling off of them. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, there I was on that damn bridge and I'm paying my fee and it's not cheap. And I'm signing all the releases, and the guy who's taking my money and putting it in a very unofficial-looking cardboard box, he's like, all right, there's no turning back. And I'm like, there's, ah, that's not what you want to hear. You know, because there's like, the whole thing about this particular sport is, uh, you want to come back. You want to go down, you want to come back. And then, so, you know, all the words coming from there are like, just kind of freaking me out. But so, here's the thing. Sure, I paid, and sure, I signed, because I'm a joiner um, and very susceptible to peer pressure, evidently, but I had no intention of jumping, so here was my plan, and it's a genius plan. I volunteered to go seventh, because there was only time that morning, really, realistically, we mapped it out, there was really only time for six of us to jump before we absolutely had to leave for the airport. So there were seven of us who wanted to go. I volunteered to go seventh because I'm awesome and will sacrifice. I will make that sacrifice for the team while still getting credit for being a brave person. And it is a perfectly planned out, every detail. David would have been so impressed with my attention to detail. And so at the same time, I still kind of wish I had pocketed that bottle of Xanax that I found when we were cleaning out his apartment, but I didn't, and it was just the adrenaline facing me. But the thing about David's apartment is that um, in his medicine cabinet, there were a lot of prescriptions. Um, he was a guy who held it together, but he was a guy who also like pharmaceutically held it together. And he had once complained that all of his head meds, you know, they were making him lose his appetite. And I looked at like the plateful of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and I was like well maybe you're just full <laughs> so back on that bridge my order number is written uh, all of our order numbers are written on our arms in big magic marker and in, in Zimbabwe that's a binding contract so I had this like giant number seven I'm rubbing it for luck right because the luck that lucky number seven was promising was that numbers one through six are going to take their dear sweet time and I'd be like, ah, oh, snap darn, man. It was really fun watching you guys, but uh, let's go, because the airplane's waiting. And those six people were stoked. They were like, oh, we just can't. They couldn't stop talking about what it's going to feel like to jump off that bridge. It's going to feel so good to fall, fall, fall. And I'm like, can we stop talking, talking, talking about this? And they just kept going, oh, man, when our feet leave that bridge, we're going to feel free. It's going to be amazing to feel so free. We're going to feel so free. I'm like... You've got, you're like six well-off white people in Zimbabwe. How, like, how much more free do you need to feel right now? <laughs> I was a little on edge. And it turns out with good reason, because the guy in the middle of the span who had the clipboard and the bungees, he also had this completely different playbook than the guy with the money box and the big magic marker. So this guy, he tells us, he goes, hey, uh, we're going to mix it up this morning. Because what you want to hear from the teenager in charge of the high-risk sport in a developing country is the phrase, mix it up. <laughs> and uh, he goes, see those numbers on your arm? And I'm like, oh yeah, this number means everything. And he's like, those numbers mean nothing. And he's looking at his clipboard. He goes, like, number one's not going first. And number one's already in his harness, popping his drama mean. He's stoked. You know, he's ready to feel free. And the guy goes down the clipboard. He's like, yeah, seven goes first. Uh, no, no, no. We have a binding contract, A. And two, this is way too random. This is a lot like, like my regular life. And I've, I've done a, a different thing here, and I have planned, and things need to go according to plan. And uh, he's like, seven goes first or not at all. Lays that gauntlet down. So my crowd is just like, go, go, do it. Because never in the history of ever has something stupid happened with a crowd chanting, go, go, do it. <laughs> and, you know, if I back out, they're going to know I'm afraid. And uh, I like, I'm the brave girl, right? So I climb over the partition and I get in my harness and I'm still thinking, something's going to happen. Something's going to sweep, you know, this is, something's going to save me. I'm not going to do this because this is insane. And... <sighs> 
I could just think, all right, I can be brave. I can, I can move. Cause bravery is kind of moving forward, right? When plans don't go according to plans. So the guy ties my, the bungee around my legs, not nearly tight enough. I mean, you make that tighter. And then I kind of hop to the edge. And, uh, and I, stood, uh, I stood very still watching this because it's also brave to know when, when it's time to stop trying to be brave. And I stood there for a very long time. When David jumped off that cruise ship, he left a two-word note, call Tracy. Because his fearless friend was going to know what to do. And I didn't. I sat very still for a very long time. And I was terrified. And then uh, I thought about how um, David's family was all together on that ship. So nobody got a call. Nobody had to take a plane. Because he jumped into the Atlantic, none of his friends had to find him. And his dog was right by my side, safe. It was the most considerate suicide he could have possibly planned, and he planned it to a T, and it was very David. And uh, it took everyone by surprise. He was the upbeat guy. He was the guy that was there for you. He was the guy that was there to help out. And like at his memorial were all the friends that I had met at all of his birthday parties. They were the friends that I met on the set of all of the short films that he had made. Ed Asner was there, because David made a short film called The Attic, and it was a comedy sitcom based on the diary of Anne Frank. And Ed Asner played the skeptical TV executive. And he only had good things to say about David. We all did. And somebody even said, uh, uh, hey, um, what, uh, how many people here did he help move? And like almost all of us raised our hands. He was the kind of depressed person who didn't curl up in a ball. You know, he powered through it. He bravely powered through it. And uh, he made a plan. He made a plan and he stuck to the plan. And uh, after we all raised our hands about the move, we put on the clashes, should I stay or should I go? Because we thought he would think that was very funny. <laughs> so back on that bridge, the teenager in charge, he started the countdown. And when he got to uh, one, and my feet left that platform, and I waited to feel free. And I did not feel free. I felt terror and regret. But I knew they would be temporary, and I knew I would bounce back. Because they've, uh, when people are interviewed after suicide, after unsuccessful suicide attempts, they're asked, what did you feel when you pulled the trigger or when you jumped? And they almost always will say, regret. And I'm haunted by the thought of David kind of hitting the water and seeing the ship sail away and for him spending his last moments regretting it. So what I wish today and what I wished then and what I wished for a dozen years is that when his feet left that platform, that he felt free and that it went exactly according to plan. Thanks.
is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Patty Griffin behind me now, and we just heard from Tracy Rowland. Folks, uh, there are two people that came up to me after our last Risk Live show in New York City, and they told me they pre-ordered the book, but I didn't get the last names. Uh, they are Tatiana and Amber. So we love you two, too, even though we don't know your last names. Now, don't forget, all you have to do is send a text message to the number 900-900, and the text message itself should just say RISK. Send that text message to 900-900, and that will get you into the pre-ordering process. Now, folks, there is nothing more important to us than that you pitch us your stories. And for all of these upcoming live shows I'm about to announce, we are still taking pitches. We have at our submissions page at risk-show.com all sorts of tips on how to pitch us, how to start thinking of a story. You know, we work with people on prepping their stories. So spread the word far and wide that we are taking pitches. And for all of these cities I'm about to announce, we want to hear from you. We're at pitches at risk-show.com. Here's where we're coming next. On May 17th, we are in Kansas City, Kansas, that's Lawrence, Kansas, at the Grenada Theater, May 17th. On May 18th, we're in St. Louis at Delmer Hall. The optional themes that night are We Were Young, Abusive, or Guilty Pleasure. On May 19th, we're back in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. On May 24th, we're back at Caveat in New York City. On May 25th, we're in Atlanta. Atlanta, the optional themes that night are Plans and Schemes, Love, or Rebellion. May 25th in Atlanta. On June 8th, we're in Tampa, Florida. First time ever in the state of Florida. June 8th, Tampa. The optional themes are Worst Case Scenario, Intuition, or Dreams. On June 9th, we're in Orlando at the Abbey. Brilliance, Sacred, and Corruption are the optional themes for June 9th in Orlando. So listen, time is a-wasting for those shows. Anyone in Kansas City, St. Louis, Tampa, or Orlando, or Atlanta, get to the submissions page at risk-show.com. Lots of information on how to pitch us there. And here's some more dates going further into the future. July 20th in Boston. July 27th, San Francisco. August 3rd, Detroit. August 10th, Chicago, August 11th, Minneapolis, August 17th, Baltimore, August 18th, Washington, D.C., September 6th, Portland, September 7th, Seattle, September 8th, Vancouver. So, folks, if you ever find yourself overwhelmed, like, oh, I don't know if I have a story, or oh my God, how does this process work, or where am I supposed to go, you can always feel free to email me directly at kevin at risk-show.com. But in the meantime, just going to the submissions page at risk-show.com will tell you quite a lot of info about how to pitch us. And we need those pitches for all those shows I just listed. And don't forget to look up all of our educational offerings at thestorystudio.org one-on-one training, uh, training that you know you can download videos and take in your own time, corporate workshops in storytelling for business that's all at the storystudio.org folks today's the day take a risk Think she can handles it? Oh, I just love strong men. Yeah, then watch this. 